Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have often heard the distinction made by well-intentioned Christians between joy and happiness. Joy is presented as somehow more spiritual and pure and enduring, while happiness as earthly and impure and fleeting. I don't like this distinction. It's not biblical and it's not helpful. It is true that Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and follow him. He does indeed require that we forsake the alluring and deceitful quest for earthly happiness in favor of God's favor and eternal life. He does indeed assure us that this will be filled with sorrow and hardship and suffering. But Jesus also tells us that the life lived under his Father's grace and protection is the better life, even now. And it is. It is a better and happier life to live as a Christian. We shouldn't give up happiness to the world and keep only joy for ourselves. Both are ours. And this is for two reasons. The first is because the world isn't really happy. They're just pretending. Just look who it is whom Jesus calls to follow him. He calls those who have foolishly fallen for the lie, who were born believing it and were never convinced otherwise. They are not happy. But Jesus doesn't call the happy. He calls the miserable. He calls those who thought that money would make them happy, but who, seeking to be rich, have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He calls those who thought that illicit pleasure might satisfy them, but who have grown jaded by what never could make them content, but that fills their bodies with diseases and their homes and households with frustration, bitterness, and loneliness. He calls those who thought that happiness could be found at the bottom of a bottle, whether of liquor or pills, or a bag of chips for that matter. The abuse of both drugs and food destroy health and imprisons those who find no happiness there. Is a carefree life presented to us as though we should envy the life lived for self? It is a lie. It is not carefree at all. Jesus tells us not to worry precisely because those who do worry are those who do not know his Father. Well, they worry all the time. They care for themselves and have no one upon whom to cast their cares. And what about those who seek happiness and healthier habits? They're not happy either. Jesus also calls those who supposed that self-denial and strict discipline might make them happy, but it doesn't. It certainly helps with their fitness and focus. Sure, it may make them more productive and useful, but the life of ascetic simplicity that promised holiness to monks didn't make a single monk truly happy. And the life of high-octane efficiency that promised honor to kings and merchants and administrators of every sort never made a single person truly happy. 
Industrious, maybe. Wealthy and powerful, sure, but not happy. Both these routes to happiness, as admirable and impressive as they are, have brought great disappointment and sadness to many, who found themselves only more and more obsessed with themselves and wondering what we all have often wondered. What's the point? Whether by means of self-indulgence or self-denial, those who seek happiness in these ways are not truly happy at all. But look who it is whom Jesus calls to himself. He calls those who have wasted their lives on short-term pleasures and who have wasted their lives on long-term investment, both of which flourish like the grass only to wither and die before winter even fully sets in. Even before death, the great unhappiness of man can be felt if our hearts do not deny it. And if we are to hear the call of Christ who blesses the miserable, our hearts must not deny it. For Jesus calls poor, miserable slaves of sin who confess their sin, the unhappiest people who know the cause of their misery. It is the unhappy whom Jesus addresses when he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Does Jesus not promise a better life? Well, we rightly condemn the prosperity preachers who promise our best life now and that God will materially bless you if you pitch in to help them buy a new jet. It is with some embarrassment with our own humanity that we see people actually falling for these hucksters. They're not even wolves in sheep's clothing. They're wolves in well-pressed wool suits. But the reason so many follow these false teachers is because they despise the cross. They hate suffering. They look for salvation. They do not believe any good can come from suffering because they give no attention to what Jesus gained by his suffering. We, however, worship and love him who suffered under Pontius Pilate. For by his stripes we are healed. Now, as just as their condemnation is who preach the false prosperity gospel, and as certain as it is that we who trust in Jesus must expect persecution and trial, yet we must not rush to the other extreme and suppose that all things pleasant are somehow dangerous to our standing with God and that all things helpful to our salvation must always, therefore, be unpleasant. It is not true. Jesus promises the better life. He promises suffering, yes, he guarantees it. But the life he calls us to live is the better life. It is a restful life, a quiet and peaceable life. It is better not only because it endures into eternity, but also because in this life he gives us to live, there is more genuine happiness. Even right now, in the midst of pain and sorrow, the life of a Christian is one of toil and tears, but it is a happy and rewarding life. 
It might be well-intentioned to make a distinction between happiness and joy, and I'm sure many very fine sermons have been preached while making this distinction, but it's a fake distinction. We don't distinguish the pleasure of the, of the ungodly and the pleasure of the saints simply by using a different word or by granting the world a, cer- a sort of uh, certain enviable happiness while we content ourselves with some sort of illusory, indefinable joy. No. This world is God's, and our hearts are his to fill. We should not concede that the world is happier than we have a right to be. The fornicator is not happier in his fornication than we are in our marriages, no matter how stressful our marriages may sometimes feel. The rich man is not happier in his stolen wealth than we are in our contentment, no matter how poor we may be. Those who artificially numb themselves to their troubles are not happier than we who remain sober and sensate. No, they're miserable. People who don't know Christ are not happy. Only Christians are. Yes, we have sin, and so we don't blame the life abiding in us for our lack of joy. That's ridiculous. We blame our sin, or better yet, we blame ourselves. And we confess our sin to God. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now that's happiness. This brings us to our second reason why we should not concede to the world the word happy. In the Beatitudes, which we just read from Matthew 5, Jesus calls us happy. This is what blessed means. It means happy. We translate it as blessed because it drives home something important about happiness. Happiness is not a feeling or even an emotional goal. It is a status. It is what God says we are. There is indeed a distinction between happiness and joy, but it's not the one we might have heard. Happiness is a status. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. This means that joy, as the Bible says, is a fruit of faith. Joy is our faithful response and attitude toward what God says about us. He says we are happy. We enjoy what God says we are. We respond to what God says by rejoicing. Only happy people can rejoice. We let God define what happiness is. Happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. That's what God says in Psalm 32. We who don't always feel that we are happy are nonetheless objectively happy. Nowhere does God command us to be happy. He tells us we are. Then he commands us to believe that we are by telling us to rejoice with exceeding joy inexpressible that God is telling the truth when he says we are happy. He is telling us the truth when he says our sins are forgiven. He is telling us the truth when he says that we are saints. Saint means holy one. We become saints not when we stir up holiness inside. That is the world's way of making, of of becoming holy, just as it is the world's way of becoming happy. But no, we become saints in the same way we become happy. 
God says that we are holy. God says that we are happy. And we believe him. The book of Psalms, which is called the Psalter, begins with this word, happy. Blessed is the man, happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. The happiness of the Christian man or woman, the blessedness of a child of God, is not a feeling. It is a status, a judgment of God upon us. He teaches us to be poor in spirit, to mourn over our weakness, to wait on his help in meekness, to hunger and thirst for what is good and pleasing to him, to love mercy, to love his word, to love the gospel. And he says, that is the good life, the happy life. Blessed are you. He gives us a status of happy. From this status, we are taught to find joy. He sustains us by his word. Happy is the man who does not seek his joy where the world claims to be happy. Happy is the man who delights in what God commands. Happy is the man not who fulfills the law, for no man can, but who trusts in him who fulfilled it for us, who in poverty and mourning and meekness labored to win for us the salvation we never even sought. We do not speak of the happy life simply as the moral life. We speak of the happy life as the life that God takes note of and blesses and says something about the life he gives us. We speak of the life of Christ, whose obedience was perfect, that God rewarded with resurrection and pleasure forevermore. We speak of the life that is ours by faith. The happy life is the life that knows where it stands through faith in Jesus, who lived and died and rose again for us. He frees us from the many false routes to happiness, from the broad way that leads to destruction. He sets us on the narrow way that leads to everlasting life. Follow me, he says. Come to me, he says. We see thorns. We see persecution. Or perhaps what daunts us the most is that we see laws and restrictions that tell us how not to stray and where not to seek our joy. And our sinful minds still suppose there may be happiness in doing what God tells us not to do. We see the narrow way as confining and limiting. And so we bristle under the cross that God so kindly places upon us. We blame the suffering of self-denial for our lack of joy in life. We blame the chastening and discipline of the Lord for the emptiness we feel. And we are so wrong to do so. We have been taught and persuaded by Jesus to find the root of all pain and the root of all sorrow and the root and source of all misery and bitterness, not in the goodness of God's commands, 
but in the deceitful lusts and desires of our own hearts. We don't blame God for our misery. We trust God who promises the happy life in the holy life. He promises the happy life in the holy life, not, however, by crushing our souls with merciless demands from his holy law. No, he promises the happy life in the holy life by cleansing us from all our sins through the gospel, which is the power of God to save. He declares us happy by declaring us holy for the sake of him who was crushed for us in our place on the cross. Jesus, who invites us to find rest and peace in him, invites us to think things through with his Father, to come to terms with him and to hear him out and consider what he would have us know and believe. As he says through the prophet Isaiah chapter 1, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as wool, as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And so God teaches us to reason and think like he does. The lamb's blood washes you clean, he says. I tell you what I see when I look at you. Believe me that I see no sin. Your baptism washed it away. Believe me that I see the holiness of my son when I look at you. He is my lamb who takes away the sin of the world. I tell you what I see when I look at you who believe in him. Rejoice in what I say. I speak the truth. You are happy. You see a heavy cross. I see what helps you hold on to Jesus who took your sins away. You see the world's scorn and persecution, but I see what will help conform you to the image of your Savior in whom I am well pleased. You see distress and weakness and death, but I see the life I prepared for you that my Lamb will shepherd you through into eternal life. For his sake, I am pleased with you. Oh, do not say that life is sad. Filled with sadness, yes. Stained by sin, yes. But your life is not sad. Your life is happy. God says you are happy because God says you are holy. So rejoice. Believe what God says and your leaf will not wither. Believe what God says and you will bear fruit at the proper time, including the fruit of joy that you may feel you lack. But God says you are happy. You who believe in Jesus are, whether you feel it or not. God says you are happy, so rejoice. The world took the word gay, a beautiful word for gladness that they had no right to take. They use it to flaunt a flamboyant imitation of joy to mask their misery. I guess there's no way to get that word back. But let's not give them the word happy too. For our happiness does not mask our misery It covers it in the blood of Christ that cleanses us outside and in. It is not a flamboyant and obnoxious joy. It is quiet and sincere. We who wash our robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb also purify our souls by believing that we are reconciled to God. We are set apart as his own. That's what makes us holy. God says we're happy, so rejoice. God says we're holy, so be holy.
Do those things that are fitting for holy people. Lay aside drunkenness and foul speech. Lay aside wrath and revenge. Lay aside fornication that cuts us off from the kingdom of God. As the apostle urges us, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And why should we lay all this aside? What should urge us on? It is because, the apostle says, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. He appeals to our fathers and mothers in heaven. He appeals to the prophets who were persecuted before us. The cloud of witnesses that surrounds us even now here. That's why we light the Paschal candle. Are those saints who now live in God's kingdom of glory in heaven. The kingdom of glory in heaven is where they rest from their labors. Sin no longer troubles them. They see God clearly and they are comforted. The kingdom of glory is the same kingdom that rules us. We call it the kingdom of grace. We call it church. We call it hearing his word and keeping it. Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of heaven. We find our rest in the same Jesus as they do. We follow their example above all their example of faith. For it is here in the tribulation that they wash their robes. And so we find rest daily until we rest forever. We rejoice every day until we feel no more disconnect between our happiness and joy, where we feel no disconnect between the holiness God says is ours and the holiness we will finally know and feel forever. We rejoice because we are happy. We seek the holy life because we are holy. There is still so much that prevents our ability to rejoice in this status, but we lay it all aside by believing what God says about Jesus. We wash our robes in his blood until we appear with him in his own likeness, who lives and reigns for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ unto eternal life. Amen.